This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Stan Bush. Hi, this is Stephanie Calvert. This is John Payne. This is Jack Hughes. Hi, I'm Carrie Stevens. Hey, everybody. This is Prescott Niles. Hello, I'm Kofi Baker. This is Tony Franklin here. Listening to Play That Rock and Roll. Keep This is not a test. This is Play That Rock and Roll. I'm your host, Joe Kay, and today our guest is a fellow content creator. Abigail DeVoe hosts a YouTube series called Vinyl Monday, and she recently passed the 12,000 subscriber mark in less than one year. So I thought this would be a good opportunity to have her on as a guest to talk about her show and the material that she covers on it. Vinyl Monday is a series of retrospectives and reviews of some of the greatest albums of all time. She has covered the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, and so many others. We're talking about the absolute apex of the classic rock era. She is able to do this series because she has an extensive vinyl collection. And since Record Store Day is just around the corner, I thought this would be a good opportunity to talk about, well, records with a fellow collector. So over the course of this interview, we talk about how Vinyl Monday came to be and how she became such a big fan of classic rock. We talk about her production and fashion and also her impressive vinyl collection. She then talks about her admiration for women like Patti Boyd and Pamela DeBar. And she also shares her feelings on Eric Clapton, which are, to say the least, complicated. <laughs> Finally, we conclude with a look at some of the RSD 2023 releases that have caught our attention, and she tells us what Record Store Day means to her. If you'd like to learn more about Abby and Vinyl Monday, check her out on Instagram. And more importantly, subscribe to her YouTube channel. If you're a fan of classic rock albums, you're going to be impressed with what you find there. Also, if you enjoy the work that Abby does on her YouTube channel, I would really recommend you also take a look at her website, which is reallifelayla.com. We will talk about it more in a bit, but I can tell you that the essays she has posted over there on her blog are stellar and absolutely worth reading. So with that, here's my conversation with the creator and host of Vinyl Monday, Abigail DeVoe. You were the host of Vinyl Monday, which recently surpassed 12,000 subscribers. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Uh, and basically, on this show, each Monday, you review a classic, iconic album from the classic rock era, which is, of course, why I wanted to have you on the show. You and I like a lot of the same music. So uh, let's start with a bit of a, some background and an introduction here. Uh, how did... You get the idea to start Vinyl Monday, and you know what made you come up with that format in particular, and how did you roll it out? Right. So Vinyl Monday actually has a really interesting 
origin story that I don't think a lot of people know is that I, on my channel, I do both the full Vinyl Mondays that usually run between 20 and 30 minutes, and I do a 60-second version just as kind of a recap. So if you don't have time to sit down for 30 minutes, you can consume that and you won't miss too, too much. Vinyl Monday started with that. It started with 30-second clips on my Instagram because Instagram was rolling out that Reels feature and I wanted to get involved somehow. I thought, I have a lot of vinyl records. I can talk at least a little bit about each one of them. And people like classic rock. People in the vinyl community would be interested in that. So that's where Vinyl Monday started. Then it moved into 60 seconds because it, cramming whole albums in 30 seconds, not a great idea. Just sort of the speed bump that I hit on the way. Um, and then I took things to YouTube. And then uh, you've made longer format content since then, uh, yeah. which is which is excellent. The analysis in those videos is really insightful and impressive. Um, another aspect of your channel that's very impressive is your production. And I wanted to ask you about um, fashion in particular. I know that you are very deliberate with the fashion you choose to wear in each of your videos when you're talking about um, the music it relates to. And I must say, as a fellow YouTuber, your thumbnail game is elite tier, and I'm very jealous. <laughs> Thank you, I've recently stepped that up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's huge. It's been a fun challenge to teach myself how to edit those. Absolutely, absolutely it is. So can you talk about um, your thought process behind that aspect of production. How do you choose the fashion you decide to wear, you know, when it comes to the various albums you talk about? Well, I don't, sometimes I try and mirror the album art. I did that with Crosby, Stills and Nash. I was wearing my blue denim shirt. When I am really strapped for thinking of something to wear, I'll just throw on like a white blouse. I think I did that for Kick Out the Jams. I was super new to YouTube and just kind of threw whatever was going on. Um, but I, I try and move with the decade. I try and tie in the colors of the album art. Um, Sheer Heart Attack by Queen. That outfit was fun. That was totally 70s. I like tied a shirt to mimic a jumpsuit kind of thing. And I put my hair in rollers, that was a lot of fun. So I guess I just try and mirror the vibe of what's going on in the album art and the fashions of the time. I have an extensive wardrobe and I need to wear it all somehow. <laughs> so this dressing for Vinyl Monday kind of helps me express that. Um, with those 30 second Vinyl Mondays way back in the beginning, about four or five months in, I started hating it. I was like, this is not working. This is becoming a drag every week. What, what do I do to make this fun? So I remember the first album I dressed for, it was Jimi Hendrix, Axis Bold as Love. And I had this purple turtleneck sweater and I threw like a little embroidered vest over it. And that was kind of the first aha moment. Like, okay the fashion component, this is making it fun and bearable. I was just thinking that must be a factor because for people like us to make content before all else, this has to be fun. We have to enjoy what we do, right? So very cool to hear that. That injected some life into the whole thing for sure. And now, now it's what I look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I can see behind you set dressing is important, too. You know, I, I, once again, I, I might need some work. But uh, uh, yeah, all this, this, this extra stuff, that's where the passion comes through in the videos. It's not just the knowledge base. It's, it's having this, the, the fun extra stuff, too, which is very cool. Um, anyone who's seen your videos knows you have a very large record collection. So this is one thing I love to ask anybody who collects records. What's the secret to maintaining a large record collection? Because it is physical media and that stuff, you know, can get damaged and, you know, decay and all that stuff. What, what do you think is the, the best 
what are some of the secrets that you have to like keep everything in order and organized and keep track of the stuff that you have? Right. Um, I rely on cataloging my collection on Discogs. That has been a lifesaver for me. I've done it since I was first collecting, probably oh. almost six years ago now. And that's so that I don't go out and buy duplicates of the same thing because duplicates of one or two albums, that's fine. But when you start accidentally accumulating duplicates of everything, it takes up a lot more space in your collection than you think it does. Um, and pricey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I... I really did luck out with my collection. I inherited it, um, about a third of it. So I do recognize a lot of those albums I would have paid a pretty hefty price tag for. And uh, I'm really lucky to have gotten the head start that I did. Well, absolutely. And for someone, I've been collecting records, I think I first started in about 2009. And the difference in what you can find at a certain price back then versus now is heartbreaking. It, it, the, the, the jump in prices for record collecting nowadays is, it, it's almost a turn off to the whole hobby itself. It's, you know, so disappointing to see, you know, that sort of exploitation. I mean, even for like, you know, not just new records, but the old beaten up ones, you know, go for pretty high prices. Oh, that is so true. I <laughs> just bought a record to have on Vinyl Monday. I was really excited for this record, um, Boy Genius. I was, oh. I counterparted it with Crosby, Stills, and Nash, kind of have an all-male supergroup and an all-female supergroup in the same week. And that album was $35 when I bought it. Oh. That was a <laughs> lot of money. Um, Another one that I didn't realize was going to be as pricey as it was, Bee Gees Odessa. You can't find that for under $25, no matter how beat up it is. I just, no. uh, Layla gets pricey for some reason, even though I see it every time I go record shopping. It's, yeah, I, it makes me sad that this price hike is making the hobby inaccessible because that's really all I want for vinyl collecting is for it to be accessible and not an intimidating hobby to get into. Well put. Absolutely. Couldn't, I mean, that's probably why I really got into it. You know, when I did, I of course loved the music, but finding just physical items uh, that, were connected to my favorite bands, you know, in the $2 bins and the $1 bins or whatever. That was the stuff that was really fun for me at first. Uh, candidly speaking, I bought records before I even had a record player. And the, the really beat up ones, I used to I used to buy them just to put up on my wall. You know, I, I used it as artwork, you know. But anyway, so let's, uh, let, let's talk about, this is probably the question you must get most often. What drew you to the classic rock of the 60s and 70s in the first place. Was this something you were raised on? Did you discover it later? How'd you get here? I was not raised on classic rock. My parents were very much 90s. They are a product of grunge and sort of the 90s alt-pop thing. So that was where I started. And I make a point of mentioning this because... Um, the 60s and 70s didn't come up until college. When I started collecting records, that's just the most of what was in my local record stores. So some of those things I picked up out of curiosity and kind of following essential collecting lists, just essential listening, and I wanted to brush up on that. Um, but the real 60s and 70s boom didn't happen until... I, I've told this story on my channel a couple times. Um, I inherited a good part of my record collection. I show up to this guy's house um, expecting to take on 150 records, and there's closer to 300. Oh. So <laughs> I say, oh, my God, how am I going to pay for this? I am panicking right now because I, I brought like a, I brought a truck out here. I'm wasting everybody's time. What is going on? <laughs> but I'm talking to the guy, and I we made this connection over loving guitarists. 
loving the art of guitar playing. I guess somewhere through that conversation, uh, I maybe my naivete charmed him because I walked away with the whole collection without having to pay a dime. He just wanted it off his hands, and I took it off his hands on the condition that there would be Beatles and Simon and Garfunkel. Guess what? There were neither of those things. Oh. <laughs> so I now have over 300 albums of artists I've never listened to. I'm just going through these things like uh, this album art looks cool. This I, I know this guy from this place. <laughs> but I made myself listen to an album every day just to oh, get through cool. and get familiar with what I had. And I totally fell in love with it. And looping back to the beginning, because I have to make this relevant, um, my beginnings in 90s grunge really primed me for this because some of those grunge bands were basically psych bands. My, oh, sure. first, favorite, my first favorite band was Smashing Pumpkins. They're basically a psych band. <laughs> so I was able to find connections with my music taste beginnings, and that was just lovely, too. That is so cool to hear. And I like the idea of listening to an album a day. When COVID started and, and the lockdowns uh, went into place, we were all stuck at home. Uh, that's one of the first things I did when I had uh, this social media set up. I started listening to a randomly selected album a day. And I, you know, I'd write a short review of it on my Twitter just to entertain myself because, you know, I was stuck at home bored. And, you know, that was a really good way to just familiarize myself with some of these artists I like deeper into their catalog. So speaking of going deeper into the catalog, of course, I've noticed your channel is really focused on the 60s and 70s output of some of the greatest artists of all time. But I... I have to I have to wonder, you know, the most of these artists did not quit working in 1980. There are a lot of them had discographies that went into the 80s and 90s and there's a lot of people who point to um point to that era for a lot of classic rock bands as like when stuff goes down downhill and there's less impressed I have mixed feelings about some artists in the 80s. Uh, I'm a weirdly even bigger of a fan of certain artists from the 60s that, you know, when they're in the 80s. Generally speaking, broadly speaking, can you talk about how you feel about the later discographies of some of the artists that you're a fan of? Right. So, it's interesting. I, I try to interact with it. And I try to sort of have an independent opinion on that music aside from their prior work. And I'll admit, it can be hard. It can mm. be really hard when this is not a production style you're crazy about. That's usually the roadblock that I hit is my interest in a production style of the decade. It drops off around the early 80s and it comes back in the late 80s. There's just oh, a valley okay. in the middle that I do struggle with. And things on both sides of the valley, pretty cool. Okay, okay. Generally speaking, about the artists that you've talked about on your channel, you know, unfortunately, we're just at a point in history where a lot of these artists are, are quite old, and a lot of them have retired if they haven't, if they're even still alive. Have you had the opportunity to see some of these artists in concert? Do you like going to classic rock shows? How, what's your interaction with live music? I don't go to live music music very much at all. Um, let's see. I saw Dylan in 2019 and just as soon as he would out, was out there on stage with that white hair shorter than I <laughs> expected, I just started crying because it's Bob Dylan. I'm in the same room as one of my all-time favorite artists. Um, I saw the Outlaws, they're all old, and half of them, I, I think there's only one guy from the original lineup now, that I still had fun then. Um, let's see, Farm Aid, Neil Young, that was incredible too. I'm really not phased by artists aging, just because yeah. I'm in the same physical space as these guys who once upon a time were my age, and creating the music 
that I love so much at my age. And then they have like this big long career after that. I'm just dazzled by the whole experience. I don't care if they can't sing or if they look different. (laughs) I don't care at all. I don't even know what most of these guys look like. I think that's a good way to see it. I I think if you're overly concerned with the appearance of just someone aging, you've, you've missed, you've lost your priorities somewhere. You know, they like, that's not why you go to see a concert. At least I don't. So one artist in particular, I was hoping you were going to mention, cause I I've seen him in concert, but, uh, one, one concert or one artist that you've talked about a couple of times on your channel. And I love how you talk about him is Eric Clapton. <laughs> and you have called him your problematic fave, which absolutely cracks me up because I sort of feel the exact same way. <laughs> um, so how can I, how can I ask this? Like I, I absolutely do not want to fall into any sort of trappings about cancel culture or, you know, bitching about that. But I want to talk about how, how do we as younger fans reckon with the fact that some of these artists from a previous generation uh a did some stuff we're not crazy about in the past and b sometimes make boneheaded comments in the present you know Uh, how do we uh separate you know the music from the artist but also still appreciate the artist because it's like the artist who who made the music when 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 you think of certain artists that irritate you maybe in their personal lives, how do you reckon that with like your fandom? How does it not ruin your fandom? Right. Lapton really is the perfect example. Um, Because this album that he in part created, Layla and other assorted love songs is arguably the reason my entire online presence exists. I really got passionate and enthusiastic, most importantly enthusiastic, about this period in music because of this album. And that album is inextricably attached to Clapton's personal life. So I take Layla not as much a product of Eric Clapton, the dude, but it's more... It's Eric Clapton, the artist, in collaboration with all of these other amazingly talented individuals, Tom mm. Dowd, Dwayne Allman, Bobby Whitlock. Um, and it's a product of Eric Clapton and this outside entity, his muse at the time, Patty Boyd. So it's not so much attached to Clapton himself, but it's attached to this, I don't know, a world that he'd surrounded himself by. Um, the music didn't so much come from him. It was more expressed through him. He was the medium in which this thing was brought forth into the universe. So I, you can't totally detach him as a person, but you can detach him most of the way. Yeah. Do you feel that's... Do you think that's important for fans to do, or is it like something that you do because you know maybe things that he's done in his personal life like really offend you, or you know what are your feelings on on, on that beyond man, the music? Man, I detach it because I have to. Mm-hmm. In the realm in which I focus on, I just have to, or else there will be so little media for me to consume oh (laughs) and you know what i like digging into stuff like this i don't i'm not crazy about empty media consumption i like having something i can dig my teeth into and something that makes me conflicted oh interesting yeah i I, I don't see i don't seek it out just to clarify it just sort of happens to me Well, that's what happens is like when we become fans and we learn about the artists whose music we like and we read the books about them or the books that mention them, 
and you know we learn about the meanings behind various songs it's it's the fans who are like the first ones to know hey this is kind of shitty or this is something that i don't really like so if to even find out this information uh i think you know at the start of it you at least have to to be a fan and that's where that conflict comes from but i just think this topic is interesting because you know, you and I weren't there when all of this went down. You know, we've we, yeah. we become fans later on, and we have to digest and process, uh, like, fandom differently than the people who grew up with it. That's, that's certainly been a hurdle to get over with my <laughs> core viewer base, who were all alive, or at the very least, they were small children when all of this music was coming out. Um, so that's been kind of a barrier. We've, both me and this audience we've had to navigate and it doesn't always work out see the blind faith video oh sure yeah oh uh, <laughs> yeah i've, I've looked through the comments you know <laughs> but i guess i guess some dialogue is better than none and at the very yeah. least with with some of your audience who might not even be on board with some of the things you're talking about it you might just be getting them to think about it for the first time in 50 years too yeah, and listen, i think that's important if people are engaged with yeah. the content if people are engaged with the history that's what i care about i am simply a media for that taking place Absolutely. nothing less nothing more yeah last year and i and i want to highlight this uh i think anyone watching who's seen your videos should definitely check out your website because you have posted some very heartfelt and thoughtful essays and I wanted to ask you about just a couple of them, because I think, you know, that's, you know, that's a great way to go deeper on a certain topic that isn't necessarily the album itself. And one of the essays I read, well, a couple of the essays I read were about, in particular, someone you mentioned earlier, Patty Boyd, and also uh, Pamela DeBar. Yeah. I've read Pamela's books. I think they're fantastic. I suspect you have two. Can you talk about these two women in particular, what they mean to you and how they influence your content? Right. Um, when I was first discovering all of this classic rock music through this vinyl collection that I was so unfamiliar with, when I stumbled on Layla, imagine the trip that it is to listen to Layla and then discover the whole story behind it. As I was listening to all of these albums, I was like, I wonder what these musicians looked like. Because I, you usually don't know from the jacket. Sometimes you just have no idea. So I would look that up on Google and Pinterest. And I just thought, like, the Beatles and the Stones, the Stones just looked so cool. And the Beatles, <laughs> yeah. they just look great, too. How they evolved from the mod thing into the very psychedelic thing and then onto into the 70s with all the brown and the leather but then i think well what did their wives and girlfriends look like and i stumble on patty boyd you know the woman layla is about and i was just transfixed by her look and how effortlessly she transitioned from the super dolly girl look of her the beginnings of her modeling career into like full-on rock star's wife with all of her matching luggage and big sunglasses traveling with Eric Clapton. I was just so taken by it. And I said, if I could call back to a bit of this and really steep myself in this world that I've now discovered through the fashion, I will be happy. Very so good. that's really... Patty was sort of the entryway for me to relate to this world. And then through, and then through someone, I discover Pamela DeBar, this woman who, in her youth, she lived this world. She was, you know, out on the Sunset Strip. She had this girl group with all of her friends, and they would go out and dress in vintage clothes for their time, like stuff That's in right. the 20s and 30s. So as a vintage enthusiast, that really sucked me in. And then I read I'm with the band and gosh, there's just this heart behind it. There's this 
real soul behind it and how involved she is in this world, how she just throws her weight behind all of her fave raves. And that really resonated with me. Um, when I started reading I'm With The Band, this is around the time I was discovering the MC5 and I was just crazy about these guys. Everything about them. I, I threw my whole heart and soul behind this band that has been broken up for 50 years. And it can be a profoundly lonely experience. And Pamela's writing made me feel not so alone. So hmm. I've really, and you know what? It's, there's, there's a different way that women interact with this world of classic rock. And I just felt so seen for loving as hard as I did. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely agree with that, that last part in particular. I, I've talked about this on the show before. I, I've interviewed a couple of women who have written uh, memoirs and uh, been involved with um, their their own eras of classic rock. I talked to Bobby Brown and Carrie Stevens, and they, they talk about what it's like being in a rock star's world while not necessarily being the rock star. Yeah. And mm -hmm. one thing I appreciate about stories like those, and also I'm with the band, is um, it, they seem so much less invested in, like, the myth-making aspect of classic rock. If you read really any rock star's biography, almost to a one, they're all trying to build up their own myth, right? And... That's fun for a while, but if you really want to know the the actual story of what actually happened, uh, I've found that you know women who who write uh, memoirs about these things are a little uh, a little less starry eyed, a little less uh, uh, interested in building you know some sort of um, epic story, you know. So I, that's why I, I like talking to, to people like that. Uh, someone I talked to recently um, in Nashville was B.B. Buell. And B.B. Oh, yeah. just put out a new book. And I was wondering, is she someone? Your eyes lit up, so I have to guess that you're familiar with her. Is she someone who's been on your radar? Well, yeah, I follow her on Instagram. So oh, great. I'm kind of more familiar with her in the current than her involvement in the music world through the 70s and the 80s. Um, I'm also a huge fan of Todd Rundgren, so oh. I so there's that connection there. Yep. Um, I just I I admire her too. She has a very different relationship with this that realm than Pamela does. Almost entirely opposite ends of the spectrum. One embraces the groupie label and the other does not utilize it um she's okay so, with muse yeah That's muse okay. muse is right in the middle you can yeah. be a muse and a groupie but not all muses are groupies yes well put it's funny that you say that about instagram because after we finished the interview and and uh uh turned off the mic she uh insisted that I get an Instagram because I'm not on Instagram. And I told her, I follow you on Twitter. And she was like, no, you got to get on Instagram. I'm like, all right, all right. So that was a, a fun moment. She's a very cool person. And, you know, I, I got a copy of her new book and looking forward to reading that. Um, and one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on the show is because we are coming up on Record Store Day. Uh, this year, and you obviously are well established on having a fantastic record collection, vinyl collection. This uh, annual holiday is, I think, done a really good service for, for even old school record fans of like giving something for us to look forward to each year, to really engage the hobby, uh, especially as we've talked about how prices of records have kind of been a turnoff. And unfortunately, I, I think prices on record store day aren't exactly like good, but at least at least we're, you're paying for something that's you know rare and unique instead of something that 
10 years ago you could have got for a tenth of the price. Anyway, all that to say, is Record Store Day something that you've looked forward to in the past? Is that something that you participate in every year? Right. I have kind of an interesting relationship with Record Store Day in which I have never bought a Record Store Day exclusive on the day. I haven't gone out to a record store on Record Store Day with the intent of buying a Record Store Day exclusive release. I haven't done that. But um, in college, I had this record store near my campus that didn't participate in Record Store Day, but they ran a great sale to make up for it. So I still went out on Record Store Day to go support my local independent record store. And that's what the crux of RSD really is supposed to be. It's not about, you know, the super exclusive releases, even though it kind of is, because sometimes they're awesome. Mm -hmm. RSD 2019, that list was stacked. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> um, but really the spirit of the thing is engaging in a hobby and going out and supporting the independent business. Yeah, well put. I, I was going to show you the one thing I have ever purchased on Record Store Day is this. This is Kenny Loggins at the movies. <laughs> Every, all of Kenny Loggins' soundtrack hits. That was Record Store Day 2021. That's a pretty cool release, honestly. Yeah, you know, it's really, it's not that like I dislike Kenny Loggins, but his movie themes are all of my favorite songs of his. So it's, it's a pretty great compilation. Is there anything in particular that's coming up in this year's list that impressed you? The Nuggets box set. I have gotten so many in the beginnings of when I started posting to YouTube, people were like, you're into all of these like garage bands of the 60s, you need to check out Nuggets. And then I checked out Nuggets and it was great. And I still don't have a copy of the Nuggets compilation. So the RSD alternate track listing on their Nuggets box set looks really great. That's, nice. that's really the only thing that I have my eyes on. Okay. So I, I have a couple I'll just mention, and I wonder if you have any reaction to, to any of them. Because some of them sort of fall into, I think, your wheelhouse. One I was looking at was the Baker Gervitz Army from Ginger Baker and Adrian Gervitz. Are you familiar with that project? That's pretty deep. No, I'm not yeah. familiar. Are you a Ginger Baker fan? Listen, what a guy. <laughs> firstly, <laughs> firstly, what a dude. Um, <laughs> but I am crazy about his drumming and blind face. That was some really great work. And it exemplified him being a jazz drummer that just so happened to be in all these rock groups. And I think that's really what I appreciate in a drummer is that jazz sensibility. Yeah. And I think even Charlie Watts would say he's a, a jazz drummer before he's like a rock drummer. I, I saw Ginger Baker in concert shortly before he died. And he, uh, at some point during the show, someone shouted out a, a song request or something. Oh, and he, he threatened to kill the guy uh, in a non-joking manner. Sounds about right. Yep. Sounds about right. <laughs> it, which was made it, it, it was like price of admission right there. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so an, another um, Record Store Day special this year is going to be Beggar's Banquet from the Rolling Stones. That one ranks up pretty high, I would guess, for you. Is that among your yeah. favorite Stones records? Um, as far as stones go, I do like that era, that sort of beggar's banquet to goat's head soup, kind of late 60s, yeah. early 70s peak stones. I do like that bracket. Um, does extend a little farther. I do like some Tattoo You. I will go to bat for their Satanic Majesty's request. Um, That's right. But I'd say as my ranking of those stones records go... Beggar's Banquet does fall behind Exile and Sticky Fingers. 
Uh, a previous guest on a show, a guy named Heath from a YouTube channel called Serial at Midnight, we were talking about the Rolling Stones, and he asked me my favorite Stones record. It, 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 for me, it's Beggar's Banquet. For him, oh, I think he said... Um, he he started. To, I think he started to say "Sticky Fingers," and he was just like, "Well, it's got to be one of those four, right?" Same I'm question to you. What's your favorite Stones album? I mean, it's you got to pick from those four, right? It's there's yeah. There's, <laughs> uh, I I'm a big fan of of Beggar's Banquet myself. I think that's a great one, but I also love. I mean, Sticky Fingers is great. So this is where you talk around it. You go, well, and then so and so, then Exile on Main Street's pretty good too. It's got to be one of those from the late 60s to the early 70s. It's got to be, everyone has to answer one of those four. We kind of laughed about that. So it is It is sort of yeah, uh, unavoidable. Uh, okay, another one I looked at was uh, The Wind from Warren Zevon. That was the last album he released before he passed away. Uh, I, I don't believe you've talked about Warren at all on Vinyl Monday. Is he someone that might show up in a later episode? If I can track down one of his albums, sure. I mean, oh. Warren's been on my radar since high school from yeah. just a couple songs floating around. Yeah, definitely slips under the radar. Kind of an oversight I feel bad about. Oh, my co-host and I have been doing a deep dive on, on Warren Zevon's career. And the one thing we keep coming back to with him is that he is... Unfortunately, largely overlooked because, you know, the radio never really gave him another chance after Werewolves of London, despite a lot of good music. So if if you have a chance to to dig in, I, I would I would highly recommend it. And then the, the last uh, album I'll mention that I'm definitely seeking out, I'm hoping to get, but I don't think I will because I think there's only a few copies out there. And I'm sure this is in your wheelhouse. Uh, it's called To Be a Man by Macho Man Randy Savage, his rap album from the 90s. <laughs> Why is that reminding me of the Corey Feldman classic double LP Angelic to the core that if they ever press that on vinyl, that will be on Vinyl Monday. As soon as I get that in my hands, I will push back the Beatles for that record. I will push back the Stones for that record. I don't care. It's That's so awesome. bad that it's fun. That has got to be one of the best things about collecting records is finding <laughs> the things that are like, what is this doing yeah. on a record? <laughs> what was that? D.D. Ramon had a rap album in the 80s, which is, uh, you know, what it's been That's on my certainly uh, a choice. Right. Right. Okay. We're having fun here, but um, uh, let's let's start wrapping this up. Can you give us a tease or let us know what's coming up for you on Vinyl Monday? Right. I need to remember what week it is and how far I am <laughs> in my schedule that it extends out for months and months. I don't think people realize that Vinyl Monday is scheduled out pretty much until September. Oh, Through wow. September, actually. I don't mess around with these things. And there are, I am dropping Easter eggs to projects that will come to fruition in the late fall. And none of these people have any idea. And I love it. <laughs> Listen, I grew up with Taylor Swift and her crazy Easter eggs. So I'm just, I want to continue that. I want to just drop ideas for things that people will watch in months and go that was mentioned all the way back in march um but in the i notice on your channel a lot of your viewers are really proud when they guess what your next episode is going to be because i make a game of it yeah if that's a fun yeah. way to so interact in in the immediate future um may is gonna look a little different the formula for Vinyl Monday is going to stay the same, but I announced this a while back, but I feel like a lot of people have forgotten. Um, May is going to be entirely modern classics. It's going to be all albums released within the past 20 years that I feel have significant ties to the records that I usually cover. I'm going to be talking like how did funk and soul show up in a dance record that's having a big anniversary soon? How 
How does Prague look today? Stuff like that. So May is going to be a fun exercise in that for sure. Um, that is really exciting. Yeah. As for the rest of April, if this is going to be up pretty soon, I feel good giving this away. Electric Ladyland is coming next. Um, it's been a while since I covered a double album. And after that, I'm doing... Can you the... show that artwork on YouTube? Or are you going to have to... Oh, I have the U.S. art. I have the Carl Oh, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> um, and the last 60s, 70s album I'm going to be doing before this great big modern excursion that I hope people enjoy as much as I will enjoy making it. Oh, I hope this works. Um, that last record is going to be Revolver, and I haven't done the oh. Beatles in a minute. So people are going to be excited about finally having the Beatles back. Very cool. Yeah, that does sound awesome. I'm, I'm very interested to, to hear your insight into that. Uh, I guess uh, my, my last question is, are there, are there other types of content that you hope someday that you'll be able to produce that might not be the exact same formula as Vinyl Monday, but... Do you think maybe down the line you'll do other types of shows about other music or, you know, move to different social media sites to do different sorts of content? Or do you like what you've built with Vinyl Monday and just want to see what you can do with that? Gosh, everything about Vinyl Monday has been a happy accident that I'm so grateful for. Um, Vinyl Monday on YouTube really started with me just posting my whole record collection onto YouTube. Those were the first videos I ever posted. They're quite bad because I didn't know what I was doing. But that was really just a way to kick off a channel that I had no clue what to do with. But it was supposed to be a fashion channel. No oh. one knows that. <laughs> YouTube.com slash Abigail DeVoe was supposed to be a vintage fashion channel. And it just spiraled completely out of control in the best way. So maybe someday, if I could at least tap into the original intent of the channel, that would be awesome. But yeah. if I am stuck as the Vinyl Monday girl for the foreseeable future, bring it on. Absolutely. Well put. Um, I wish you all of the best with, with both uh, aspects, whatever comes forward. I just have to compliment you real quickly in particular about a the last video I saw of yours, which was about Joy Division. You said very briefly about Ian Curtis that you made this episode now because you are the same age as he was when he tragically passed. And you said you wanted your audience to see what that age looks like and sounds like and talks like. The week of this video going up, I will be 23 years and 10 months old. That is roughly the age Ian Curtis was when he died. I'm covering this album now because I want you, my core viewer base, who is older than me, to remember what 23 years old looks like. What it talks like, acts like, thinks like, breathes like, eats like, sleeps like. Uh, I don't like that Ian and his death have become some myth, because once upon a time, he was once multifaceted and vulnerable and not a hero and a real person. And I, I just want to say, like, like framing a conversation like that is more in-depth than most any album review you'd ever find. And it really impressed me, and how you talk about the material you cover is extremely insightful your 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 passion is on screen at all times I, I think you run a great channel and you've hit 12k subscribers i think that's only going to keep growing uh, i hope you're ready for that and uh i just want to wish you all of the best for the future uh your, your show is great and i really appreciate you coming by today thank you so much that all of that i wasn't prepared for anything you were going to bring up about the Unknown Pleasures episode, but having that, 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 episode, out. Having I, I that episode out there and the response that I've gotten from a video like that, as well as Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd, that was 
both of those episodes were tough to make. So yes. having this response from both of them with music that has been so deeply entangled into my life, um, having people accept my deep personal connection to that in tandem with the history of the album and my commentary on the music, that has brought a wash of joy. It's, it's very overwhelming. Thank you. Well, I'm glad because I think it's very easy, unfortunately, to leave that stuff out because it might be emotionally difficult or maybe you're not sure how the audience would, would receive it. But I just want to encourage you to, you know, don't, you know, don't listen to, to that way of thinking because uh, I think that's what makes your show special is that you put yourself out there like that. It's very, very good stuff. It's part of why I'm a fan. Thank you so much. All right. Well, thanks again for coming by. Uh, this was great. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the big four things you can do to support this show that don't cost a dime. Number one, listen to the show. If you're hearing this now, that means you did this part already. Thank you. There is an infinite amount of content out there, so you choosing to spend some time listening to this show means a great deal to me. Number two, if you like what we did here, please recommend this show to family, friends, or anyone you know who's looking for a podcast, particularly about music. Share our links in Facebook groups, subreddits, and recommendation threads. Whatever you can do is highly appreciated on my end. Number three, find us on social media. Follow us on Twitter at PlayThatPodcast. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash PlayThatPodcast. And subscribe to our YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash C slash PlayThatRockNRoll. Lots of great material like photos and vlogs on all three platforms as Play That Rock and Roll is very much meant to be a content hub as well as a podcast. And finally, the big ask. Number four, please give us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I know this part is a hassle, but it really does help the show a great deal. Not just because it affects the algorithm, but also because it gives me something I can point to when pitching this show to potential guests. The more social media followers and positive ratings the show has, the better chance I have for booking high-profile guests for interviews. So if you take a moment to give us even just a five-star rating, you are actively giving us a tool to do bigger and better things here. But whatever the case, I appreciate any and all efforts you take to support us here and play that rock and roll. Be sure to join us next time for more great stories and music from the world of classic rock. 